Max Home Goods stores, Target, and the like, they may have forgotten about a little something called Thanksgiving, but I have not. I am preparing for the very dangerous game that each one of us gets to play on Thanksgiving, which is how much do you sample to make sure that I'm giving each dish the opportunity to work its magic for me, as well as not offending those who bring the dishes, right? But not so much that I don't overfill up on what I'm really all about, which would be the mashed potatoes and the gravy. Now, just a show of hands, as I like to do this because... I don't know why, actually. I should have thought of that, but I just like to do it. I can't explain it. You like to do it too, sir? He says, yes, we're moving forward. Uh, the sweet potato thing with the marshmallows. You like it? Yeah, you like it. Do you ever find yourself being like, hey, you know what? It's a Thursday in July. I think I'm going to try some sweet potato marshmallows. No, you don't. Why? I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, the, the green beans with the crumpled up um, onion strings on the top, that I like. Stuffing, cranberry sauce, getting excited now. Now you're like, yeah, tear all that stuff down. We need to bring back Thanksgiving in those stores. We need Thanksgiving music, Thanksgiving movies. I don't even know about it, but I'm getting too far ahead because the real issue is do we sample or do we just go all out? I don't know. But what I do know today is that we are going to sample, oh, look, I'm going to tie it all in, a little bit of the letter of Jude. Now, Jude only has one letter. It's one chapter long. You could read it probably... From here to your car, I bet you could do it. And Jude was written by? Jude, very good. Now, we know that there are five main Judes in the New Testament. There was Judas the betrayer, Judas the Galilean, who was a, a revolutionary that's mentioned in Acts chapter 15. There was Judas, who was the son of James and one of the 12 apostles. There was Judas, who was a prophet mentioned in Acts chapter 15. And then there's one other Judas who is mentioned as one of the brothers of Jesus in Mark and Matthew. And while any of those five may have been the author, verse 1 in Jude describes the author as a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James. James, who was the man who became that leader in the early church and was also the brother of Jesus. So friends, I think it's certain that our author is this half-brother of Jesus. And if you're going to read this, God, this letter of Jude, I would also recommend you reading it with 2 Peter. They tie in very nicely together. And because of this and some of the things that are, are mentioned in it, we know that the audience was about the same. It was a Jewish Christian audience that also was living in a Gentile area. And in this letter, just like in St. Peter or 2 Peter, there's this call for watchfulness. For it looks like the people that he's writing to in this church were not aware that something was going wrong inside their church. There were dangerous people that were infecting the church. They were pretending to be one thing, followers and believers, but they were really something else. Pushing a false agenda, speaking in half-truths. They were giving lip service to Jesus, but they weren't loving and serving him. These people were speaking the mercies of God, but were requiring works to be saved. They had taken the grace of God and made it cheap by saying, hey, we're forgiven, so let's live however we want. And so through warnings and examples of both the Old Testament Israelites and also angels, Jude calls out for this church to remain in the faith. And our text this morning is going to look at the conclusion of this letter. We're going to look at verses 17 through 25. 
So if you have your Bibles out, you can pull them out now to make some marks along them. If you forgot your Bibles today, the verses will be up on the screen and we can follow along together. So this is Jude 17. Yeah, so you don't even say the one because that would be weird. There's only one chapter. Jude 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. This is a message that we have heard time and time again. As disciples of Jesus, we are supposed to be different. We are to remember what the Lord Jesus and the apostles have said. We are not to forget that the Word of God is always going to be the answer to dangers that are either inside the church or even outside of the church. And we have been given this Word of God, the very breath, right? The very words that He Himself would have us know, so that when we are constantly being told something new, and whatever is the latest at the forefront of our minds, we need to come back to what was foretold by those whom we can trust, our Lord Jesus and the ones who walked with him. For in the last times, remember Jesus talked about this and so did the apostle, there's going to come a time when people are no longer going to endure sound doctrine, right teaching. But according to their own desires, they're going to have these itchy ears and they're going to want teachers who preach things that aren't true who allow them to be able to turn away from the truth and wander without needing Christ Jesus, who can become self-sufficient. In other words, the danger is that people will put their hope and security in the things of this world. And we would become much more concerned about what is in front of us than what is eternal. Now, not only are there going to be people who wander off, but there's going to be these worldly distractions, these scoffers, if the verse comes back up again. Now, maybe Jude was talking about those who are going to mock the idea of Jesus' return. I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Do you think he forgot about us? Or what about the people who mock our way of life, who point out all the failures of religion? Say, how can you believe all that stuff? How can, you be wanna, how can you wanna be a part of something that has done so much wrong? What about those who say, you know, why does God allow suffering and war and famine to happen, but apparently he cares if I do this one thing? I mean, shouldn't God fix the big things before he's coming after me and my business? Shouldn't I be able to do whatever I want over here if there are worse things happening over there? The scoffers are all about following their own ungodly desires, desiring the things that they want and ignoring what they need. Now, maybe you remember this in John chapter 6 when Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. They all want to make him king by fourth, so he withdraws. He goes away from them, and over the night, the disciples cross the lake. They're in the boat. Jesus comes walking to them. They freak out. They think it's a ghost. It's not. It's Jesus. Immediately, they're to the other side. The people all wake up the next day, and they're like, where'd Jesus go? So they go, and they go across the lake. They see him, and Jesus says, you're looking for me, not because you want me, but because you want the food for your bellies. You want to never have to work again, just have everything handed to you. You're not seeking the things 
that you need. You're just think, seeking things that you will just want time and time again. Christopher, will you throw the verse back up there one more time? That first one? Divided. There are people, there are ways of life, there are things that divide you. Trying to live in both worlds. Exhausted from duplicity. Maybe tired from all the noise. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it's not numb because you don't have any feelings. You're numb because of the overwhelming amount of feelings. And so we default to these natural instincts, whatever is the loudest. In the context, that natural instincts has nothing to do with sex, but describes the person who lives only by and for what they can get through their physical senses, the me-first life. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, why not do it? A life that is not spiritual, but a life that uses spiritualness when it's convenient or is just indifferent to the Holy Spirit. And that, I think, is very scary, that feeling of nothing when the call of repentance is supposed to be there. Become so entrenched with sin that you're no longer seeking God or His ways. And I've been there a few times, maybe you have too. Wanting change but not knowing how to get started. Needing something to break the strongholds that are preventing you from moving on. Wanting to be free of that insatiable desire. How do we get to the place of godliness with contentment and leave that unfillable pit that we're trying to constantly fill with things? To have the strength to look right into that pit and not need to try to fill it anymore but to breathe easy and walk away from it. Walk a different path to be free. Jude says, dear friends, look at the endearing words he uses. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and in praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude's not saying live in such a way that makes yourself lovable to God. But keep yourselves in the love of God means to keep yourself in harmony with the ever-present love of God. The significance of the promise that God loves each of us, all of us, has been twisted by half-truths. Yes, God's love extends everywhere and nothing can separate us from it, but we can deny ourselves from the benefit of God's love. People who don't keep themselves in the love of God end up like, uh, like Pink Floyd said, living on the dark side of the moon. The sun is there, always shining, but they're never in a position to receive its light or warmth. Think about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The father never stopped loving the child. But the son was not experiencing the love because he was so distracted and lost. Build yourselves up means to keep growing spiritually. 
Jude tells us, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Leave it up for me, Christopher. It means that we cannot wait for spiritual growth to just happen or expect others to to make us grow or to think that we can keep living the way that we're living and maybe all of a sudden we're just going to be better. But instead to take steps, to actually take steps and walk while we follow Jesus. It's like getting in shape. Every time I see someone who is looking fit, I'm always like, dude, what's your secret? And they're always the same answer. It's diet and exercise. And it just devastates me. I'm so disappointed. I am waiting for someone to say, I don't know, bro. One day I just woke up and I looked like this. Beyonce? Did I do it? I did it. But make the distinction here with me. This is not build up here on this verse to be saved, but build upon your salvation. Salvation is God's work. He calls us to partnership with him as we live out our salvation. Because it's the spirit that guides us, the spirit that enables us, the spirit who who gives us what we need. But friends, we cannot deny moving and just do nothing and think that we're going to be built up in faith and following Jesus. I don't want to hear diet and exercise, but friends, it is word, it is prayer, it is love. And maybe today you don't need something fresh or to sample something different, but we need to go back to the source of what we need. Because Jude tells us to begin with the faith and then invites us to pray in the Spirit. Because this battle against wrong living and wrong teaching is spiritual battle. It requires prayer in the Holy Spirit. We might write out our prayers and see that many of our prayers are directed by our own needs, our own intellects, our own wishes and desires. But there is a higher level of prayer. Paul talks about it in Romans 8, saying the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. goes as far as saying that the Spirit will groan for us, gives us the right words to say, to enter into a way of praying like Jesus did, of praying and surrendering praying and letting go of trying to control and line up our lives, of praying and being willing to wait, to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us into eternal life. For we have a God who is faithful, who has promised to prepare a place for us, And God's promise stands despite our failures or weaknesses, for he is our hope and our salvation. So we wait and rest and remain in him. Then we are kept in his love because faith and prayer are not separated but joined. Deception can run rampant in the world and the enemies that we face can be great and mighty But our God is greater always. He wins. And we are guaranteed victory with him. So then Jude says, be merciful then to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted faith, flesh. Using wisdom, we approach different people 
in different manners, deciding when we should comfort, when we should rebuke, he says. Understanding, of course, that it's not always so black and white. If someone's mourning, we comfort. If someone's sinning, then we rebuke. But very simply, Christians are not to abandon people just because they sin, but to help them through it in love, always continuing to love them. No matter how bad a person is or what they have done, we are not allowed to hate them or to be unconcerned for their salvation. Now, friends, there are healthy ways of doing this, and much has been written to help people and love them through addiction and inappropriate behavior. So don't hear me saying that you shouldn't love them in a way that isn't safe or isn't wrong. This verse isn't breaking down how we handle all people who sin against us or are sinning against the faith. Situations are complex, but we are called knowing that an outward look is important. Not to be only concerned for our own spiritual welfare, but for the spiritual welfare of others. Genuinely caring about others. So that when someone is doubting or struggling to believe, we don't crush them. Instead, we're merciful, patient, remembering that we ourselves are not perfect. Mercy like compassion, watching over them, helping hold them accountable. Like Galatians 6, right? Bearing with one another's burdens. And I love that bit about snatching them from the fire. That's urgency. Recognizing that we have to take action and can't just be indifferent. The whole mercy mixed with fear. Recognizing that there are consequences for sin and consequences for unbelief. Or pain and hell are real. Separating the sin from the sinner. Hard to remember and hard to do. So Jude concludes in this beautiful doxology and says to him, right, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. If the reminders and the warnings of doom may have depressed and discouraged the readers with so much false teaching in their church and so much immorality running around, they might begin thinking that maybe it's impossible for Christians to get to heaven. So he doesn't let us forget this answer. The power of God who is able to keep us and more than keeps us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, presents us to himself without fault. You will not stand before the Lord, slinking with a shame-covered face, hoping to just barely get in. But the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ covers you completely so that you will stand before the Almighty with joy, great joy. Because all power, majesty, authority, and glory belongs to Him. We come every Sunday to rejoice in that, to cry out in that, to sing in that, to declare it, to believe it, both now 
and forevermore. There is not a more complete statement of eternity that I think can be made in the human language. This is our victory. This is our God in triumph right here, what we will come down individually to receive. His body, His blood, the complete sacrifice so that nothing will separate you from Him.